Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. So true story, I decided to use skin glue on this five-year-old boy's thigh where he cut himself, but then he shifted and glued his testicles to his leg, and I spent the next two hours ungluing his testicle from his leg. I never even heard of skin glue. That's a thing? Yeah. I don't use it that it's much. It's for like it, stitches. Like instead of stitches, you do skin glue? Yep. I don't use it that much anymore. I can see why. <laughs> that's, also, that's a, are that's you that, in trouble for that's this? That's a true story. No. No, I actually build them twice because I had to do two procedures. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. Uh, we're excited to be back here today, taking some complex medical topics and break them down back to basics so that you can leave with a better understanding and ready to conquer the world with medicine. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Go ahead. You want to talk about who our sponsor is today? Today's sponsor, I would like to be Dr. Pepper. But they're not. But we don't have a sponsor. And what I'm saying is I would like Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper means a lot to me. Let me talk a little bit about Dr. Pepper. Okay. Maybe this could be like almost like a interview for their sponsorship. Because this is the kind of stuff I'll say. Dr. Pepper is the reason I'm alive today. <laughs> <laughs> I drink Dr. Pepper daily. Probably three bottles of this. Every day? If you day? look at any podcast, you will see I'm drinking Dr. Pepper. Usually you're drinking my Dr. Pepper too. True. I go for the diet. I like it. There's 26 flavors in it. You don't need to mess with that formula. But if Dr. Pepper is out there, if Dr. Pepper is listening, or if someone is listening that knows Dr. Pepper, he or she <laughs> needs to get on this podcast. I, I want to sponsor them. I'll do any. I'll tattoo my freaking face <laughs> with Dr. Pepper to get that sponsorship. Okay. I will start an OnlyFans and get naked for Dr. Pepper. No, no, no. I'll get naked with Dr. Pepper. I don't, that might, you might have just killed our chances of having a Dr. The thing Pepper. is, is if, if Dr. Pepper can hear this, we're interested in you sponsoring this podcast. Doesn't have to be a lot of money. Just give me a reason. It could just be free Dr. Pepper. You could sponsor us with free <laughs> if Dr. Pepper. you just want to send me a Dr. Pepper a day, <laughs> I will dedicate my life to Dr. Pepper. <laughs> All right, so we don't have a sponsor today. What is our topic? Let's talk about the topic. So today's topic is chronic bronchitis and emphysema. So we did a, this is kind of on theme. We've done just two podcasts that we're doing. One we just did was asthma. And now we're going to do chronic bronchitis and emphysema because they all fall in the category of obstructive lung diseases. So if we just did asthma, cool. Now you get to listen to us talking about COPD and emphysema, kind of on theme. If we happen to have just done a pirate episode, Go back. Guess what? Pirates could have had COPD as well. Probably. That's a good That's a good point. So anyway, so today's topic is chronic bronchitis and emphysema. Cool. So what I'd like to talk about is I'd like to, again, bring it back to basics. This is, again, kind of on theme with when we talked about asthma, we talked about how it's something that we see a lot of. And sometimes when we see a lot of something, we assume we know a lot about it, which is not always the case. I think COPD and emphysema or chronic bronchitis and emphysema are similar. Uh, the things that we see all the time and we're like, oh, COPD. Yeah, I know what it is. I know what you'd be surprised because the, something that I learned, I think is that, that I don't think everybody knows is that chronic bronchitis, emphysema, and asthma kind of like all interplay together to create this condition that we have named COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So 
I want to break it down, take it back to basics, talk about specifically the differences between chronic bronchitis and emphysema. We've already talked about asthma. I want to talk about the differences between those two things, then kind of how they overlap. And then again, based on their pathophysiology, why the treatments that we use, we use. Got it. Make sense? Makes sense. So I'm going to throw it out to you for when you think of chronic bronchitis, emphysema, COPD, what do you, what do you think of in terms of like, how does this patient look to you? Difficulty in breathing. Yep. Exacerbations mm-hmm. of difficulties in breathings. Um, hypoxic drives sometimes. Okay. Sometimes a history of smoking. Yep. Um, I think about our grandpa. Sure. Who had emphysema. Mm-hmm. He's dead. It killed him. True. So it's serious stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. What else were you looking for there? No, nope, that took a turn. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so yeah. So I think we think of we think of these... I always think of like these like older, frail-looking men a lot of times who are short of breath. They they have these exacerbations. They have wheezing. They've got cough. They're coughing stuff up all the time. Again, I think this is like very like well known to you and I because we watched our grandfather like develop COPD after smoking and then like progressively worse. And then eventually, like I said it did take his life. Luckily, at an older age, but we've kind of seen that progression ourselves. So again, we've got these this cough, sputum production, wheezing, shortness of breath, hypoxia. A lot of times they become oxygen dependent. It's a progressive disease. All right, it doesn't seem. I mean, it's a, not really anything you can do to cure it. Uh, and obviously, like I so said, we think about smoking being one of the main main things that happen there. But what I'd like to do is talk about how again, chronic bronchitis is actually different than emphysema. Now, a lot of times we see them together, and we'll kind of talk about why that is. And we see them together in what we call COPD. That condition that we call COPD. But chronic bronchitis is essentially inflammatory changes within the bronchioles themselves. The bronchioles are your lower airways. Right. They branch off and then they subsequently keep branching and branching and branching until you get to those grape-like clusters called alveoli where Mm -hmm. oxygen exchange happens. So your bronchioles you can think of as just the tubes that are your airways. Right. So what happens in chronic bronchitis is that you get inflammatory changes within the bronchioles um, and an increase in mucus production. So we think about bronchitis, we think about people getting viral bronchitis, they're coughing, they're coughing stuff up, that sort of thing. So chronic bronchitis is essentially that. So it's this all this inflammation that occurs and then you get increased mucus production. The reason you get increased mucus production is because you actually have an increase in the mucus glands within the bronchioles. So you actually like have more mucus secreting glands being formed. And the reason is, is is because of the cause. So the cause of chronic bronchitis is typically irritants. So chronic bronchitis, we think about with smoking, right? Like cigarette smoke is an irritant. Other chemicals out there, other exposures, like asbestos, these things can like cause like chronic changes to occur. So you get inflammation of the bronchioles, you get increased mucus producing glands that are trying to clear the irritants and all it becomes this chronic inflammatory condition. And that's a concern, I think, now like with like vaping and things like that. People are saying like, oh, well, like cigarettes caused cancer. That's what was so bad about them. Well, it wasn't just that. You got bronchitis and things like that. That's not a, it's not a form of cancer. Right, it's, right. it's from the constant irritant. So the idea is that there's not research quite yet for us to be able to prove things because it's fairly a new thing. But the idea is that if you're inhaling anything, 
including vape smoke, that may, may not have carcinogens in it, but it certainly has irritants in it, eventually your body develops this chronic bronchitis, and mm-hmm. then that can develop into emphysema or with emphysema into COPD, and then right. you can have major lung issues down the road. Yeah. So and it makes sense that like more irritants, what would your body respond to? It's going to respond with mucus production because what does mucus do? It, it captures... Uh, germs, bacteria, mm-hmm. you know, it, it captures the bad stuff and helps you forcefully move that out through coughing it up, right? right? So it's constantly getting irritated thinking, hey, there's some sort of attack or there's some sort of gunk in here that we need to get rid of, so let's produce more mucus. Well, now the mucus production itself is causing obstruction down there and is interrupting with oxygen exchange. Right, exactly. So again, so chronic bronchitis by itself, like I said, is being caused by these irritants. So secondhand smoke even, like these can cause a chronic bronchitis, We'll talk about why cigarette smoke can also cause emphysema, but that's, again, a different thing. We're going to kind of separate them here for a second. So chronic bronchitis, you're getting that inflammation, increased mucus production. So these patients are coughing up a bunch of phlegm. We see this, right, in our COPD patients. They're coughing up a bunch of phlegm. Um, they're obviously predisposed to pneumonias because you've got now this fluid buildup in the alveoli. There's no actual damage to the alveoli. Like the alveoli, those air sacs are themselves fine. But you've got a ventilation perfusion mismatch because you've got a bunch of fluid buildup in there. Say so, what that means because you hear it all the time, and I think it confuses some people. What is a ventilation perfusion mismatch? You might want to talk a little bit about like kind of our four yeah, yeah, things yeah. that have to do with that. So, and this is good. So there, you'll hear this a lot, this ventilation perfusion. And I think sometimes it's thrown out there, and, it, and it's made more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. We actually – maybe we'll do a podcast. Maybe we do a follow-up podcast on ventilation perfusion mismatch in general. After Pirates. After the Pirates. <laughs> after we talk about Pirates. But we will do that, actually, because that's actually something when I was doing this, when I was developing the content for this podcast, I was like, you know what? We should talk about ventilation, perfusion, mismatch, and all the things that that can mean. But from a, from a high level, I'll talk about is ventilation is the movement of air in and out of the lungs, right? Yes, perfusion. Perfusion is blood flow, essentially, the ability to blood to flow. So when we talk about a ventilation to perfusion mismatch, what we're saying is that either because of a ventilation problem or because of perfusion problem, we're not exchanging oxygen the way we'd want to at the alveoli. Mm-hmm. So in this case, this is the ventilation perfusion mismatch, our perfusion is fine. We've got blood flowing to the capillaries, to the alveoli, no problem. But we have a problem with ventilation because we're not getting all that air into the alveoli because they're all blocked up. They're mm-hmm. all blocked up with fluid and mucus and junk like that. Right. So when we get a ventilation perfusion mismatch, we get hypoxia, right? And... A lot of times these patients are referred to as blue bloaters. So this is when we talk about like pink puffers, pink puffers and, blue and blue bloaters. bloaters. That's a weird way, I think, of distinguishing between chronic bronchitis and emphysema. And a lot of times we see both of these things. Yes. But which one is playing the major role? So in chronic bronchitis, because of the ventilation perfusion mismatch, we get hypoxia. And because of that hypoxia, we retain CO2. And so they, we get this kind of like, they become blue because they're not, they're, they don't have low oxygen. They have, they low have low oxygen. oxygen. Yeah. They which, don't have. Which is hypoxia, which we'll clear up. Back to basics. Right. Hypoxia means low oxygen that we're talking right. about. I, it, it might be worth just breaking down. Ventilation, you said air moving and out. Mm-hmm. Perfusion is fluid moving around. Yep. Oxygenation is, or saturation sometimes is, is whether the blood has oxygen in it. Right. So we can't treat chronic bronchitis with just oxygen because there is a ventilation perfusion mismatch it's not about the oxygenation of the uh, of the 
well, it's not it's not about the circulation of the cells. Like a lot of times like we're like, we those cells need more oxygen. We need to get them more oxygen and then the perfusion will be fine. The problem is that we can't get all the oxygen in the world isn't going to help them because you can't get that oxygen through the air into their lungs in the first place, right? So right. we have a ventilation issue here. That's why it's a, it's a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, right? It's obstructing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. shoving oxygen down their mouth isn't going to do anything unless we have a way to deliver that oxygen right into the lungs. So again, so these these chronic bronchitis patients, because of irritants, develop inflammation, increased mucus production. This is, causes a ventilation perfusion mismatch or problem because we've got fluid in the alveoli and oxygen can't exchange. That leads to hypoxia. Hypoxia leads to compensatory mechanisms. So these patients, like I said, we, we call them blue bloaters. Blue because they're hypoxic and they're not exchanging oxygen as well. And bloaters because... They they end up getting these like barrel chests a lot of times they're they're like bloated they, these barrel chests because they get they retain all this fluid that they're breathing more and the, and the 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 thoracic cavity is trying to compensate for this problem. Well, the only compensatory you said compensatory mechanisms kick in. So what can we do if we can't? It's not a perfusion issue, mm-hmm. and we can't necessarily you know increase oxygenation. So the only way to do that is let's increase ventilation. We're, we're only getting a little bit each breath because of the obstruction, but let's increase ventilation all the time, right, right? right? Which is why then our body starts to trigger into these hypoxic drives. So typically our body tells us to breathe when there's a buildup of CO2. But since these people, you know, they're, they're, they have obstructions in their lower airways, they're used to that kind of a CO2 enriched environment they're used to operating at lower oxygen capacity now what happens is their brain triggers them to breathe faster when they have low oxygen so the danger here is that if we were to give them just oxygen we gave them a bunch of oxygen the body now is triggered to say hey i've got plenty of oxygen i don't need to breathe anymore and you can actually start like snowing these patients or or causing their respiratory drives to be depressed if we over oxygenate because they might be used to operating, let's say, like 85 to 90 percent mm-hmm. instead of like 90 to 90 to 100. And this should be, so we should throw in the caveat that this does not mean you shouldn't be giving oxygen to your chronic bronchitis patients. Right. Um, like I said, over-oxygenation usually occurs over a longer period of time um, and pr- usually and probably is not something you have to worry about in the acute setting. Because sometimes we'll see people be like, oh... I don't want to snow their hypoxic drive, so I'm not going to give them oxygen. That's not the answer. Still give them oxygen. Well, yeah, it's right? not a turn off, off and on thing. It's a, I'm going to give them oxygen because I understand the pathophysiology of what's going on. But because I understand the deep pathophysiology of what's going on, I'm going to watch mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. going on. And if I see their respiratory drive start to become depressed, I know that that might be a cause of my treatment. I'm still going to treat them. Yeah, yeah. But I, I understand what the effects of my treatment can do. Right. Right. But again, maybe throwing them on a, you know, nasal can or um non-rebreather and leaving them there for and not re yeah that's why we don't do those things either right Right. so yeah perfect so so that's chronic bronchitis okay and then there's emphysema so we said in chronic bronchitis there's no real damage to the alveoli in emphysema there is so in emphysema we actually get damage to the lung tissue which typically the alveoli and again cigarette smoke is an irritant that triggers chronic bronchitis it also is a carcinogen that causes damage to tissue mm-hmm. and that, you know, those carbon, you know, those carbon deposits and things like that can cause damage that then leads to the emphysema. So you see how cigarette smoke does both, mm-hmm. but you can get emphysema by itself and you can get chronic bronchitis by itself. And sometimes in our COPD patients, we may see one of these playing more of a role in their symptomatology than another, right? Mm-hmm. We might have someone come in who is very, you know, very much so having like an emphysema issue 
And they've got signs of chronic bronchitis as well, COPD. Or they have someone who comes in who's like uh, you know, the blue bloater, like hypoxic, lots of mucus production, that sort of thing. But they maybe they don't have as much damage as someone else. So their chronic bronchitis is the driving factor. Still COPD. Does this make sense? So I'm trying to kind yeah. of like separate these two. And then the third thing is that a lot of times these patients will have asthma as well. When we talked about asthma, and I'm only going to briefly cover it here, but when we talked about asthma, we said that irritants and things can cause these inflammatory changes, increased mucus production, bronchoconstriction. Well, that's asthma, right? So asthma also plays into this obstructive pathology yeah. in COPD. Very similar pathologies, but just different causes of them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we do have increased mucus production. We do have inflammation of the bronchioles. We do have constriction of the bronchioles. The issue still is that we can't get air in and air is trapped inside there, right? We're mm -hmm. still having a lower airway obstruction right. things happening, right? And having trouble but getting just different air causes. Out. Yeah. Exactly. So in emphysema, we actually get damage to the lung tissue, damage to the those alveoli. What happens is is because of the the damage to the alveoli, they become enlarged. So we have larger alveoli. We also get a reduced number of alveoli. So literally like you think about like all these little grapes and then think about us like taking a bunch off and then other ones like the walls eroding and now they're like merging together. So we get like these bigger enlarged alveoli, less of them. This then leads to air trapping, right? So air gets stuck there. Um, and also if we bring a bunch of alveoli together, we can get what are called bulla or blebs. We basically get like these like bigger bigger pockets of alveoli mega alveoli yeah that are like you think it's a good thing but it's not because you can't not. you can't get the air out of there because each alveoli also has these elastic things around them that squeeze them shut or squeeze the air out of them in some ways and we we lose that as well we lose that elasticity so now the air comes in and just sits there and it can't be pushed out so these patients then are known as the pink puffers they're puffing because the, you'll, they'll do that pursed lip breathing where they like kind of put their lips in and then like blow <laughs> watching out. the video <laughs> thank you <laughs> like thank that. you for the demonstration um, because they are they are actively using their muscles now to push the air out as opposed to the alveoli just normally mm -hmm. using their elastic ability to do it they're pink and not blue not because they're not hypoxic they do get hypoxia because they're not getting as much air exchange but again we don't really have a ventilation perfusion mismatch anymore the ventilation's fine. It's coming to the alveoli. The perfusion's there. It exchanges fine, but the amount of surface area being exchanged is less. We don't have all these little alveoli. We have these bigger ones. So what happens is the body sees that as a, you know, lower oxygen capacity. So it makes more red blood cells, increases the hematocrit, and now you're pink because you almost have like a higher red blood similar, cell volume. Similar to when we talked about in our high altitude podcast, mm -hmm. we talked about how okay. We're in an oxygen, relatively oxygen-deprived environment. Exactly. So what, what does my body do? It produces more erythrocytes or blood cells in order to try to, you know, carry more. Yeah, right? exactly. So very, so very similar mechanism. It's amazing what our body does, but then what we, we got to be able to recognize what it's doing and why that, some of that stuff is means that bad things are happening. Right, 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 exactly. So again, in emphysema, we don't have the mucus production. We don't really have the inflammation, but we have damage to the alveoli, damage to their elasticity, enlargement of those things we get air trapping so our body makes more blood to accommodate for the lack of oxygen and again we get this these, these pink puffers so another way i like to because i always like to remember it like for testing and stuff like that so chronic bronchitis is blue bloaters like bronchitis blue B, bloaters yep and then pink puffers or emphysema ppe i don't know i just that's just way or emphysema has a p in it or that pink puffers emphysema okay sure but anyway just like a way to remember it now again 
are you going to only see pink puffers and only see blue bloaters? And like, no, but you hear these terms and you're like, I don't understand. I thought COPD right. was one thing, but this is why. It's because there's two different pathologies creating a condition caused COPD. Mm-hmm. And probably a third if we throw in asthma, because there's an asthma component there as well. Yeah. Um, so understanding that, now we can kind of understand a little bit of, again, why the treatments we use, one, why we use them, and two, why they work. So do you want to jump into a little bit about like, you know, our typical treatments? They're similar that we talked about in asthma. asthma. But I think we should talk about them here in this in this yep. you know entity. So mucus production and inflammation, how we would handle that is by we can't do a whole lot, especially in an acute setting, to get rid of mucus production, right? Sure. The body takes care of mucus mucus production by itself by like coughing it up and and there's things that we can do to help like break up the airways and like in nursing we can do incentive spirometry and stuff like that mm-hmm. but in the acute setting not so much but what we can do to help both of those is open the airways up a little bit more and then now it's easier to pass that mucus and we've gotten rid of the inflammation or we've we've helped the inflammation right and the mucus is clogging the clogging up the bronchioles so we've yeah got a so, small hole let's make it bigger yeah simple as that right, right. so we're going to give like updrafts usually like a, we'll give albuterol which it opens the airways up. Same thing we give in asthma, it opens the airways up. And this is a breathable medication. We can give this right with the mask. We can also give it while we're giving uh, CPAP, mm-hmm. but fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we're going to go ahead and give a medication that opens the airways up. We're also going to give Atrovent, also known as Ipatropium bromide. I don't think I mentioned its generic name in the, uh, or its true name in the in asthma podcast, but Ipatropium bromide basically prevents the airways um works on the opposite mechanism by preventing them from closing. So we give something that opens them up, activates an opening up, and we give something that prevents them from closing too. So that opens the airways up, which is great. Handles some inflammation. But we still sometimes, especially if we have blebs and things like that, we have alveolar issues, um, and we need to increase the ability for those alveoli to stay open. Um, So for that, so for that, I mean, that's that's the hard one, right? And this right. is why it's a progressive disease because there's not really much you can do to like change that pathophysiology except get rid of the irritant, get rid of the, you know. But things like CPAP can provide that expiratory pressure to keep those alveoli open. And that's, that's kind of what I was leaning towards, right? And, and you, you said this in the asthma podcast, and I think it's a great thing. CPAP or BiPAP should always be a method to bridge a patient to something, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it doesn't, it's a treatment, but it doesn't solve the underlying cause, right? It just allows us to be able to give these medications and do things like that, right? So it holds the LVOI open, helps that out, increases the pressure as we're breathing in. CPAP, when you breathe in, it basically helps force the air in and holds the LVOI open so you can have that oxygen exchange. So when we're doing that, you know, that they're going to have to come off of that eventually. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a temporary fix um, to a long-term problem. So, but it allows, it get, buys us time to do other treatments. Yeah. And then other ways to handle inflammation, we can consider steroids. Yep. Um, examples of these would be, uh, salumedrol or pre- prednisolone mm-hmm. or, um, decadron, right? Yeah. Decadron is one. Yeah. Dexamethasone. So yeah. And that, and that's the thing. These are the same treatments as we use in asthma and we're using them for a lot of the same reasons, but again, sometimes also a little bit different, right? Like we're, you know, we're giving bronchodilators, yes, there is going to be some bronchoconstriction in COPD, right? There just is because there's also going to be that small asthma component. There's going to be some of that stuff going on. These overlap quite a bit. You can't really separate them out the way we're separating them. We're separating them so that we understand the pathophysiology and all. Um, but again, you're going to, we're going to do this bronchodilation. 
not because we have the same kind of bronchoconstriction as we do in asthma, but because we do have a component of that, and because we know that there's mucus production in chronic bronchitis that is causing, you know, a narrowing in of itself because there's an obstruction there, so open those things up. And we do see wheezing in COPD, right? We do, we do hear wheezing, yeah. and it's because we have that, you know, that lower obstructive pathology going on. It would still be an expiratory wheeze that we would hear, an expiratory telling us it's a lower airway issue, mm-hmm. as opposed to an inspiratory would be an upper airway issue. Right. But these right. are lower airway diseases. We're going to treat them the same way mm-hmm. most of the time, you know, but understand that different things lead to them. So right, right. we open the airways, we stop them from closing, we push air in, we stop inflammation with steroids. Yep, exactly. Those so, are kind of the general acute care treatments that we're exactly do. exactly but again i think understanding that pathophysiology behind the scenes can help other things that we can consider obviously like we talked about cpap bipap um the thing with these obstructive pathologies so when we talk about chronic bronchitis when we talk about emphysema copd as well as when we talk about asthma intubation really should be a last resort it's really difficult when people have chronic obstructive pathology if you put them on a ventilator, it's really hard to get them off of a ventilator. It just is. And, and sometimes that is what they require. Um, unfortunately, like these are conditions that will continue to progress. You know what I mean? So like I said, these are not, these are not things that we can, we can stop the, how rapid they're progressing. We can, like I said, hopefully limit the symptoms, but these are not things that resolve. Like you don't really ever get cured of COPD or emphysema. Right. Usually they progress. These patients typically become more oxygen dependent um, as they advance in their disease process. And really, based on that pathophysiology that we just talked about, you can see how there's like not really much we can do as they progress. I mean, we can do temporizing things like, you know, CPAP at night or oxygen during, you know, during the day or when they exert themselves. Um, we can give breathing treatments as needed for, but there's really nothing that we can give or do to reverse any of that pathophysiology. Well, and it's easy when you're talking, you're talking as an advanced provider in the ER, an ER physician is saying, we wouldn't, necessarily we would try to avoid like snowing this patient with medication and intubating them to help from right. a pre-hospital provider standpoint the only time you're going to intubate a patient is when you absolutely need to intubate a patient because right. they stopped breathing you know or you know they, they've stopped breathing and they have no gag reflex yeah so that i mean we're still going to intubate chris is just saying that in the in more of the in-hospital setting they're going to try to avoid for as long as they can purposely depressing the patient's you know, mentation and gag reflex and then like paralyzing them and then giving them intubation to well, help. Yeah. And also I think sometimes I'm, mo- I'm more quick to, how do I describe this? So like there are certain conditions where I might not, not like hastily go to intubation, but I would go to base intubation earlier than I will in someone with COPD or asthma. Like mm-hmm. I'm really going to let them get to the point where there's nothing else I can do as opposed to sometimes there are patients are like, ah, oh, you know what? Like, this looks like it's heading towards intubation. Like maybe it's a very sick septic patient with pneumonia. That's treatable. That I can mm-hmm. reverse. So if I see that they're becoming more somnolent, that they're getting sleepy, tired, that their you know their their oxygen capacity is lowering, I might say, all right, you know, let's prep for intubation. Let's. They're going to end up needing a ventilator. They need the antibiotics to work. In someone with COPD, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try the breathing treatments, the you know the steroids, the CPAP, and I'm gonna really work on that until I just absolutely have to intubate yeah. because again, this is not a re- reversible process the way like a pneumonia would be. Well, and, and I think the simplest example of what you're talking about is like if you had an upper area obstruction or you had like a, an allergic reaction, like an anaphylaxis type situation, like a lot of times we'll intubate early on. Like yeah. you'll snow someone and intubate them because that swelling can get out of control. We want to get an airway while we can, mm-hmm. right? It's just very different in lower airway obstruction stuff. 
Exactly. All of this to say, though, basically what my point is here is you heard Chris say intubation. Once we intubate someone, we get them out of vent. Sometimes it's very hard to get them off that. Don't listen to that as a pre-hospital provider medic like me and think, cool, if my COPD patient dies, I'm not going to intubate them. Yeah, no, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> you, right, right. you still have to do that. Right? Yeah, yeah. If they go into respiratory arrest, you have to intubate that <laughs> just as a blanket rule. Yes, yes. please do that. Um, but again, what I'm saying is that like, you know, like you said, like in an anaphylaxis or something, in, in yeah. s- there are certain situations where we maybe intubate earlier More aggressive. On. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do it in head injuries too. If I've got patients who are like have severe head injury and weird respiratory things going on. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to intubate them, sedate them so I can get the CAT scan done, stuff like that. And that's because like there is an end point, you know, there's, there's an end point that will take them off of that ventilator at some point with COPD. It's a little bit more difficult. So but that's pretty much it. I mean, other, other complications and things to consider. So one other thing that we do a lot of times, and you probably won't do in the pre-hospital um, scenario, but something to keep in your mind, especially if you have longer transport times or if you're doing community, you know, tra- like is infection risk. Obviously, with these kinds of especially chronic bronchitis, there's a there's a big increase re- infection risk for pneumonias. So a lot of times when people come in, there's actually some recommendations now that when people come in for a COPD exacerbation, you put them on an antibiotic as well. A lot of times I'll send these, I'll get them stabilized. I'll send them home on a steroid for a couple of days. Make sure they have their breathing treatments and oxygen at home, and I'll send them home on an antibiotic, even if their chest X-ray doesn't show signs of pneumonia. Like a prophylactic type of thing? Yeah, because a lot of times, like they're especially during exacerbation, they're so predisposed to it that obviously if they develop a pneumonia on top of it, it's you know, they're even more sick and more complications, more risk of hypoxia, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So so hopefully this kind of helps break down again. We kind of take COPD. I think we we see it a lot. We think we know everything about it, but you can see how like the pathophysiology of chronic bronchitis versus emphysema. Uh, is a little bit different than just asthma. So kind of understanding those nuances can help us really understand what's going on with our patients, uh, what's the main the main problem at that time, and then to kind of guide our therapies. And, and again, understanding why the therapies we use work the way they, they do in these situations. Awesome. Yeah. Anything you want to add? I wanted to ask, uh, in asthma, we talked about in hospital, sometimes you'll give magnesium mm-hmm. to help with it. Will you ever do that with COPDs or no? Not typically, uh, because magnesium is more of a last ditch effort for bronchodilation, and it's not a dilation it's issue. Not, it's a there is some di- there is some constriction issues going on in COPD. That's usually not the driving issue behind their exacerbation. So, um, typically, I won't dump magnesium into that just because I'm going to add on CPAP and those kind of things for the other issues that they have. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, sounds good. Cool, awesome guys. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Pepper. If you're out there. We're waiting for you. Always. Always. All right, guys. Well, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time on Back to Basics. Stay sweet. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we'd love for you to check out the rest of our content at guardiantestprep.com. We specialize in preparing EMT, AEMT, and paramedic students for not only their school, but also the National Registry exam at the end. Enter EMT Test Prep with over 15 hours of videos, workbooks, question banks, and everything you need to pass. We'd love to have you get involved. Again, guardiantestprep.com. Check us out.